Welcome to this assembly of Blaine Baptist Church. Uh, it is good to have each of you here with us this morning. As we look together in praise of our God, we're thinking on the theme of God being the kind and good giver of every good gift. And so uh, even as we continue through the day, we'll be looking to that theme. Uh, Thanksgiving song service this evening and rejoicing in song and praise from our lips and from the lips of others and the instruments of others as we rejoice in our God uh, this evening. So as you're able, uh, I would encourage you to come have a lot of a variety of special music uh, tonight in addition to, to congregational singing. Um, and then uh, because of the Thanksgiving season, other things uh, upcoming that are changed and because of COVID, other things that are changed. But um, no King's Kids on this coming Wednesday night. So there will be no King's Kids uh, this Wednesday, Thanksgiving break. And then the ladies' luncheon, which is typically the first Saturday in December, um, has been canceled for this year. Uh, in terms of things to look forward to, uh, this coming week, Dr. Bowder will be with us and sharing the word um, in the services this coming week. So looking forward to the opportunity to have him uh, here with us. Prayer requests. Uh, there are a number of uh, old prayer requests to continue to be praying for. Others which are uh, new or things that I haven't mentioned. Um, do do be praying that God will be kind in terms of uh, in terms of Edith's upcoming uh, surgery that will be the thirtieth of this month. So Edith's second cataract surgery, God has been kind, as we've mentioned already in the prior uh, the prior uh, surgery. But pray that the second would go uh, just as well or better. Uh, that God would be kind there, and then um, the. Uh, the Olsons shared with us that uh, their niece Nora was safely brought into this world, even though um, even though a month early. So praising God for that kindness. As we pray for other uh, churches, uh, praying for the church in Buffalo, um, and I recognize the picture of the pastor, though I I don't recall interacting or talking with him at any length ever. Um, but Legacy Baptist in Buffalo and Pastor Wilker, uh, let us pray that God would be kind in us being a blessing to them, even by praying for them uh, this morning, and that they would uphold the word of the Lord uh, in, uh, in, uh, in, in the area of Buffalo there that they, they minister. As we... Uh, come together and look to our God. Our habit is to look to scripture memory together. Uh, Mark 8 and verses 34 and 35. And he summoned the crowd with his disciples and said to them, If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. And whoever loses, but whoever loses, and whoever, no, but, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel will save it. Um, 
Here is the kind call of the Lord. There is a path to salvation. And that path is through Christ and through his gospel. Mark 8 verses 34 and verse 35. And he summoned the crowd with his disciples and said to them, If anyone wishes to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it, but he who loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. Mark 8, 34 and 35. Let us uh, direct our attention to our God in prayer. And as we begin uh, this morning, let us uh, bow before our Lord. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that in trials and in joys, you are close to us and care for us. We thank you that even before we cared for you, you had put in motion your plan of salvation so that we might have the hope of eternal life in Christ. We thank you for those ministries around the state and around our globe that are even today preaching the good news of the gospel and directing others to your word, inviting all who will listen to come to worship you through Christ. I pray, Lord, that we would get encouragement from that truth even as we think on your kindnesses to us this morning. I pray, Lord, that you would bless with care in the physical needs of our church family. We think of those who are away from us because of covid Might you strengthen and guard and protect and even restore strength physically to them. I pray, Lord, that you would be kind in helping us to be faithful in prayer and even in contact to them. I think of those who are expecting surgeries upcoming. I think of Uh, both Jimmy and I think of uh, Edith. Um, Lord, might you direct and guide in those upcoming procedures. Your hand of physical care is a thousand times over demonstrated each day in bringing um, new babies into this world, new life and joy in families. I pray that you would bless and help uh, Nora's mom and dad to raise her up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Might they rejoice in your kindness uh, to, to them. As we think, Lord, of other ministries preaching your word, we think of a Legacy Baptist and pray that you would Rejoice their hearts in fellowship and worship around your word this day. 
might you give direction and guidance and wisdom to Pastor Wilkers. Lord, we rejoice to have set aside in the ebbs and flows of life some traditions and habits which are good and worthy, noble traditions. We think of the call to remember and give you praise for what you have done for us. And even as we look forward to Thanksgiving and all of the festivities related, might you rejoice our hearts trusting in you, opening our eyes to see your kindnesses to us, and might we be quick to open our lips in praise of your kindnesses. You have been with us to this day. You have not abandoned us, nor will you. We pray that you might be kind and strengthen us in your service, in your praise, in your worship. We pray your blessing on all the remainder of this service. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Our habit is to read responsively from the Psalms, and we're reading this morning from Psalm 19, Psalm 19, as we read together. Psalm 19, for the choir director, a psalm of David, the heavens are telling of the glory of God, and their expanse is declaring the work of his hands. Day to day pours forth speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words. Their voice is not heard. Their line has gone out through all the earth, and their utterances to the end of the world. In them he has placed a tent for the sun. Which is as a bridegroom coming out of his chamber. It rejoices as a strong man to run his course. Its rising is from one end of the heavens, and its circuit to the other end of the land and there is nothing hidden from its mind. The law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true. They are righteous altogether. They are more desirable than gold, yes, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honey. Moreover, by them your servant is warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Acquit me of hidden faults. Also, keep back your servant from presumptuous sins. Let them not rule over me. Then I will be blameless 
and I shall be acquitted of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. You should have received a handout, and as we think on God, the one who is the great giver, uh, we'll sing together, it is good to sing thy praises, it is good to sing thy praises, and let us uh, sing um, at this time. It is good to sing thy praises. Would you stand as we sing? It is good to sing thy praises and to thank thee, O Most High, showing forth thy loving kindness when thou As we look to the word of the Lord tonight, uh, or this morning, let us read from Matthew and the seventh chapter, Matthew chapter seven. Matthew 
reading Matthew 7, verses 7 through 11. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it will be opened. Or what man is there among you who, when his son asks for a loaf, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, he will not give him a snake, will he? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father who is in heaven give what is good to those who ask him? Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that as our Heavenly Father, you do give us good gifts. You give us the things that we need. Lord, I pray uh, that you would look down on our nation and bring revival. Pray that you would defeat those who are seeking to turn this nation to evil. We pray that those of us who are seeking to please you and to live according to your precepts, we pray that we might not be timid, but that we might speak out and stand up for what is right. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Take the blue handles and turn to number 704. 704, we plow the fields and scatter. Singing of God's giving to us in the crops and in nature that he provides for us. 704, we plow the fields and scatter. And waves obey me. 
God is certainly the giver of common grace. He's also the giver of that great grace. He gave himself for me. My hope is in the Lord. 427 in the blue hymnals. 427. As you're able, would you stand as we sing? My hope is in the Lord. 427. taking your blue hymnals and going to Psalm 100, you may. I'll invite the ushers to come at this time. Our Lord has truly gifted us beyond all we could ask or think. Might we give him praise together? Let's bow. Lord, we knew not our need but you gave. We were enemies and estranged from you, but you gave. 
We thank you that though we are most assuredly unworthy and ignorant, we are but worms and yet you care for us. We are but dust and yet you exalt us. We marvel and we adore. We thank you, Lord, and we pray in our Savior's name. Amen. Take the gray hymnals now. Turn with me to number 57. 57. In the gray hymnals, praise to the Lord, the Almighty. Praise to the Lord, the Almighty. We'll sing this first two verses together. The third verse, without the men. The fourth verse, without the ladies. The fifth verse, without the instruments. So third verse, without the men, just the ladies. Fourth verse, without the ladies, just the men. And the fifth verse, a cappella. Praise the Lord, the Almighty. Stay now. 
Number 264 in the gray hymnals. 264 gray hymnals. Guide me, O thou great Jehovah. So you think of the third verse, when I tread the verge of Jordan. Think about trying to cross the Mississippi River by yourself in March. Right after the snow is melting. And you see that muddy, frothy river crossing bid my anxious fears subside guide me O thou great jehovah would you stand as you are able guide me O thou great jehovah pilgrim through this barren land i am weak but thou art mighty to the word of the Lord this morning. 
I invite you to go with me to Matthew and the 11th chapter. Matthew and chapter number 11. Our text is a common one. Beginning in Matthew 11 and the 28th verse. Come to me all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Here we find encouragement in the word of God. Might we ask the Lord to encourage through his word, even as it is proclaimed, examined, considered, and loved. Might we bow before God. Lord, we thank you that you have called us to come. And not just to come, but to come to you. We thank you that you have given yourself for us, yea, even to death, the death of the cross you went so that we could come before you, could know the freedom and joy of sins forgiven, burdens lightened, Obligations which are not wearisome. And so, Lord, I pray that you would rejoice our hearts in love for you, even as we look to this text this morning. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. For those who have been with us these last three weeks, we're finishing up our series on modesty this morning. We've been looking to the theme of modesty and considering it in various aspects. Uh, The first week we noted how modesty is not just for ladies, but for ladies and men. The second week we noted how that Samson is the example of immodesty, or at least one good example of immodesty. Uh, Last week we looked to the particular And only time when the word modest is uh, with clarity used in the New Testament, and that's in 1 Timothy, um, that language of modesty being used there in relation to ladies and their um, decorum. And then uh, today we're looking to applying modesty, but Uh, Another way to to put this morning's uh, sermon would be to say that it's really not about modesty at all. Uh, Rather, it's about uh, Matthew 11, 28 through 30. Um, And then at the end, I'll just apply some of the things that we see here in terms of modesty. So if you are thinking uh, uh, um, not along the themes of modesty and that theme, Um, You you won't be confused this morning. 
we're, we're not going to be looking to that theme with much emphasis until the very end of our time together this morning. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I think as we think on the course of human life, the course of years and decades, uh, adding up one by one uh, upon each other in the history of our existence, I think that we find many reasons to see that we are weary and we are heavy laden. And so what a joy that the Lord has promised that for those who come to to him, he will give rest. The Lord gives this comfort, this consolation, this balm, rest. We go through life and in many circumstances, trials, tribulations, hardships, sorrows, disappointments, bereavements, grief. And so consider with me this, these questions. They all have the same answer. And they all pertain to the first theme that we'll look to this morning before we uh, delve into the text here in Matthew 28, 29, and 30. Consider these questions. What has the power to turn a person from despondency to delight? Or what can transform a person from mourning to melody? That's language from Thomas Watson, morning to melody. Otherwise, you could ask the question, how can sorrow be changed to singing? Or how can a person move from the flowers of gloom to the fragrance of glory? And I would agree with Thomas Watson that the answer to those questions is joy. Joy. Joy transforms. Joy changes a circumstance of hardship into a circumstance of happiness. It it transforms the circumstances of life from that which are despised and rejected to that which are accepted and gloried in. I think of our Savior. For the joy that was set before him, Hebrews said, he endured the cross. He suffered in ignominy. As he was thinking of that which was grievous, was painsome, and, and rightly understood, infinitely so. Beyond any scale of magnitude of pain or hardship or sorrow or trial that we could imagine. And yet, for the joy set before him, 
I think that when we think about the path of following the Lord, sometimes we think in terms of the drudgery and the obligation, the command. I would encourage us, let us think in ways of the path of following the Lord, the virtues that are ill reputed in our day, modesty among them, the virtues that are neglected, let us rejoice, let us have joy to traverse those paths. I think we are in... We are invested in looking to that which is fashionable. Jeremiah 6 and verse 16, thus says the Lord, Stand by the ways and see and ask for the ancient paths where the good way is and walk in it and you will find rest for your souls. The joy of God-given rest, even the saints of old, they had the promise of the Lord to find that rest. Jeremiah 6 and verse 16. The end of that verse is then all the harder, all the more difficult, all the more grievesome. The Lord has said, follow in the ways of tradition, the ways that I have set before you where the good way is, and walk in it, and you will find rest for your souls. But they said, we will not walk in it. It was more fashionable to walk in the paths of pride and human self-sufficiency. I think we're tempted against our joy to be successful. Proverbs 16 and verse 19, it is better to be humble in spirit with the lowly than to divide the spoil with the proud. There there is a way to accumulate wealth unto yourself. And that wealth is short-lived. That joy It is immaterial, to mix metaphors there. You you, you seek after that which is material, and you will most certainly wound your own spirit. It is better to be humble in spirit with the lowly. Sometimes we're tempted against our joy by self-sufficiency. Zephaniah 3 and verse 12 But I will leave among you a humble and lowly people, and they will take refuge in the name of the Lord. We are needy, and we ought to be reliant, and we ought to be dependent. But the the temptation is not to take refuge in the Lord, but to rely on ourselves. Not to find joy in the ways of the Lord, to find joy in our own pleasures and desires. Might the Lord thus increase in us humility, humility.
Ephesians 4 and verse 2 ties together, I think, these themes of joy and humility. Those who are believers ought to live with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love. Here is the joyous path. It is the one of humility. The one of humility. And I think as as Jesus calls out and says, come to me, much as wisdom calls in the Proverbs, come and listen. As Jesus calls, come to me, he's pointing out for us the path of joy. He's pointing out for us the way of joy. And so I'd like to begin by thinking firstly about joy, then thinking more briefly about humility, and then turning particularly to Matthew 11 and verse 28. Thomas Watson, I mentioned already, he, in his body of divinity, wrote a whole chapter on joy entitled Of Joy, He begins the chapter with Galatians 5 and verse 22. The fruit of the Spirit is joy. Joy. So so then he asks, what is joy? And his answer is that spiritual joy is a sweet and delightful passion arising from the apprehension or from the gaining and feeling of some good, whereby the soul is supported under present troubles and fenced against future fears. Uh, Joy pertains to us having a hold on that which is good. When we have a hold of that which is good, then we can have the hope of joy. Can, Can I preface what we'll be looking to in just moments? Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. If it is good to follow the Lord, if it is good to be in a a relationship with the Lord of faithfulness and trust, if that is good, then we should expect that we would have joy in exactly that apprehension, that gaining, that bringing to ourselves, taking unto ourselves, that good thing, our relationship with the Lord. The relationship with the Lord will support the soul under present troubles, Thomas Watson points out. Uh, We are not promised a life free of hardship and sorrow. Much the contrary, we are promised a life full of hardship, full of trials, and yet joy stupefies and swallows up troubles, to quote Thomas Watson. It carries the heart above them as the oil swims above the water. Here is joy. When we have joy, then even our present troubles are put into a perspective that transforms our our understanding of the circumstances. I think that when we think about joy, at least four truths 
we could note about joy relating especially to this idea of the Lord helping uh, you helping us in joy to even endure our present troubles? I think of joy in this particular. Joy is the eternal hope of the righteous. To say that, in other words, the eternal hope of the righteous is joy. Uh, you see this repeatedly throughout the book of Proverbs. Proverbs 3 and verse 13, How blessed is the man who finds wisdom and the man who gains understanding. Proverbs 3 and verse 17, speaking of wisdom, Her ways are pleasant ways and all her paths are peace. That the person who's following in the path of the Lord, that person can expect to know now joy. Verse 33 of Proverbs 3. The curse of the Lord is on the house of the wicked, but he blesses the dwelling of the righteous. There is a present joy. Proverbs 10 and verse 7. The memory of the righteous is blessed, but the name of the wicked will rot. Even as we consider the righteous, there's joy and blessing. Oh, that others would have reason to think of us in that light. Proverbs 10, verse 20 and following. The tongue of the righteous is a choice silver. The heart of the wicked is worth little. The lips of the righteous feed many, but fools die for lack of understanding. It is the blessing of the Lord that makes rich. And he adds no sorrow to it. You want to know joy? Know this eternal hope that the righteous have. The hope of the Lord's promise of joy. Doing wickedness is sport to a fool, and so is wisdom to a man of understanding. What the wicked fears will come upon him, but the desire of the righteous will be granted. When the whirlwind passes, the wicked is no more, but the righteous has an everlasting foundation. Whatever the present circumstances are, here is the joy of God's promise. We who are righteous have the hope, an eternal hope, but a present hope, a present blessing of righteous joy. Proverbs 16 and verse 7, when a man's ways are pleasing the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. Proverbs 20 and verse 7, a righteous man who walks in his integrity, how blessed are his sons after him. Joy even benefits others. Righteousness benefits others. There's joy on, uh, in, the, in the lives of others for those who are righteous. And, and so I think the Proverbs make clear uh, not only that there's an eternal hope of the righteous, which is joy, but there's a pleasant blessing of the righteous which is joy. Which leads then to a third observation relating to joy. Thirdly, the present blessing of the righteous is joy sometimes. The pleasant, present blessing of the righteous is joy sometimes. Note uh, for example, 
what probably comes first to your mind? The, the, the New Testament promise? All who live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Consider these other texts. Mark 10, beginning in verse 29. Jesus said, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children's or farms for my sake and for the gospel's sake, but that he will receive a hundred times as much now in the present age, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and farms, along with persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. There's an eternal foundation of joy and there's a present foundation of joy even while there are sometimes the loss of wives and children and parents and possessions. I think the reality of life for us is sometimes that our eyes are clouded by the fact that the present blessing of the righteous is joy sometimes. Galatians 6 and verse 9, Let us not lose heart in doing good, for in due time we will reap if we do not grow weary. Why would we grow weary? Why would we lose heart? Because there isn't This experience of joy all the time. Sometimes there are hardships, the obligations which we are required to do day in and day out. Or Hebrews 12 and verse 3. Consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Jesus himself is the chief example whom we ought to follow. As we pursue the path of joy, that path of joy is not free from hardship, weariness, the need for endurance. Last text to illustrate this point, 1 Peter 5 and the verses following. And here we tie in this theme of humility. Coming back to humility again. All of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another, for God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you at the proper time. Why why is it that you don't know exaltation now? Verse 7, casting all your cares on him, because he cares For you, we have joy, but that joy is mixed with cares. Be of sober spirit, be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour, but resist him firm in the faith, knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. Others have gone through this same joyous, heart-wrenching path of life before. 
After you have suffered for a little while, the God of grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Here is joy that God does not set up for us a house of cards. God does not lead us along as though all of life is, uh, I I always think of roses and then it doesn't work because of all the thorns. Um, all, All of life is smelling the lilacs. That's not the life God has put forward for us. And those of you who are older could give testimony to that fact. And yet, might the glory go to the Lord because all dominion is his. We have joy. We have joy. The future joy sometimes demands present hardship. And I think... Uh, Here, we could turn to our text and note how the beginning of our chapter looks. Uh, Matthew chapter 11. We're, We're still considering this theme of joy, but note where John the Baptist is. Jesus had been teaching, verse 2. Now, when John, while imprisoned, heard of the works of Christ, he sent word by his disciples and sent them with questions. Where is John the Baptist? He is in prison. Was he in prison because he was wicked? Was he in prison because he had done some great wrong? Not in the least. Not at all. John the Baptist is in the midst of suffering. And and Jesus sends these words of comfort In response to his questions. Blessed is he who does not take offense at me. Remember the prophecies, John. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, the poor have the gospel preached to them. Here is joy. Not only that God's prophecies are true and have come to fulfillment in Jesus, but also that those who are going through suffering can rely on those prophecies, can find a firm foundation in the promise of the Lord. Joy is a support under present troubles. Suffering and hardship are sure to come, but the Lord He gives joy even in the midst. Lastly, again, returning to an observation of Thomas Watson. By joy, the heart is fenced. The heart is protected. The heart heart is guarded. The heart is fenced, that's his language, against future fear. Future fear. Joy prepares us for the hardship and suffering to come. Joy 
strengthens us in the midst of it, and joy delivers us out of it. You, you think of the future fears. You might think of the first martyr. And as Stephen is about to die, what does God give as a taste, a, a foretaste of joy? Nothing less than the sight of the heavenly glories. Joy strengthens our heart. It steals our heart for future, against future fears. Might we be faithful, not just in pursuing joy, but in pursuing joy in the path that God has ordained. In the way that God has prescribed. Which leads then to a second introductory uh, theme, which I, I will tie to, to the passage. Uh, if, we, if we consider joy, which I think is clear in the passage, even on a, on a, a, a cursory reading of it. Consider also the theme of humility. Humility. The theme of humility. Back to uh, Matthew 11. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon uh, you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. The Lord presents himself as an example of humility, humble in heart, gentle. That language of gentle, sometimes used in in other uh, contexts in terms of uh, translating that, modest but but rarely so that's not the major point that i like to to draw out here but rather as we think about the lord's humility the lord presents himself as a model of humility and here we have a hope for joy how does humility relate to modesty how does humility relate to modesty i would uh, present Humility as the larger category and modesty as a subset, one kind of humility. Modesty is especially humble in terms of pointing others to oneself. And I think that you can see that here as you think about our Savior. He could have obligated, take the heavy burden, take the obligations, with all the suffering, with all the hardship that comes, take that all. Why? Because it is your duty. This is what we must do. This is what we're required to do. If a servant is found faithful, that's only because he's doing the least that's required of him. It's required of stewards that a man be found faithful. Humility is here exampled by the Lord. And as he presents to us this yoke and this burden, which he will put upon us, he presents it to us even in humble ways, to which we'll return at the end. 
So if humility and joy are both at least hinted at here in our passage, I think joy uh, exceedingly so, and humility uh, the example of Christ here in this passage. What is it that this passage is calling us to? How is it that this passage could lead us to joy? How is it that this passage could encourage us in the faithfulness which leads to joy? And I would answer with the three obligations that the Lord lays out here in Matthew 11 and verse 28. He says first, come, come. Now this language is unlike uh, most of the other times in the scripture when you have this uh, word come. This is an adverbial imperative. It's an adverb which has imperatival force. And, and the, the, the uh, word is used but rarely throughout the New Testament and Old Testament. But the point is that there is an obligation. Jesus is, is not laying out uh, something that's optional if you would like to be his servant. Jesus is not laying out something that is uh, take it or leave it if you would like to be faithful in, in obedience to him. Jesus is giving a command. He gives three here. The first is come. But note how this command to come is even itself embedded with encouragements and consolations and comforts. Come. Come to who? Come to me, Jesus says. Come to me. Think of all the ways that John puts forth this language. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the bread. I am the water. I am eternal life. As you think about who it is that we are coming to, how can we not but have joy? We're commanded to come, but given who it is that we are coming to, right? Uh, Maybe you, you were like me, uh, when I got married, um, wedding day, the, the pastor had particular instructions for how the, uh, uh, the groom would come out and how the bride would come down the aisle. And he gave particular instructions. Uh, was I burdened and, uh, and heartached to have to follow those instructions? Again, not at all, not in the least. That that's, that's the nature of this command to come if we understand that we're coming to the Lord. We're coming to the Lord. Not only that, but come to me. To whom does he give this imperative? Come to me, you who are weary and heavy laden. You, you know burdens. You know hardships. Come to me. Uh, Jesus does not present himself to those who are self-reliant, to those who have have, uh, made it on their own. Jesus is calling to those in need. And the fact that he would call to those in need, those who are immobilized by their physical condition, those who are 
under hardship because of their financial condition. Those who have known uh, greater joys in the past and have had those joys decline in the present. Jesus is calling to those who are needy. We are those who are needy. Might we never lose sight of that? And if we never lose sight of that, this command will be joy. Come to me, you who are weary and burdened. Lastly, as we come, how can this uh, coming be seen as joy? Because as we come, Jesus promises, I will give you rest. I will give you rest. This is language of peace. This is language, especially if you think of our, our, our modern term refreshment. That's very appropriate language here, given the word. The, the Lord is seeking to strengthen and to, to bring back uh, uh, um, some prior joy. If we've, if we've known those joys of his in the past. The Lord is holding out the fact that the, the, the weariness and the hardship that is going to be lessened. Those loads will be lightened. And so I think uh, if we think about this, uh, this promise and the, the context of joy, come is, a, is, a, is an obligation, but it is an obligation of joy. The same can be said of take my yoke. Take my yoke. The second obligation that we find here is this taking of a yoke. Now, a yoke in the... And that day, in the terms of the Jews, uh, has two different uh, ways of uh, being thought of. Uh, one would be negative. So we think in terms of a yoke, and we think of the burden and the obligation. So the uh, Jews were under the yoke of slavery uh, given to them by the Egyptians. Or the yoke, thinking of bondage and abuse in other passages in the Old Testament, which, uh, quoting now from a commentator, became identified with the freeing work of Messiah. Note Isaiah 9 and verse 4. The, 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 the Messiah is going to lift that burden. The, the Messiah is going to free. But there's also a more positive imagery for yoke. And here again, I quote, it is something that binds a person to truth or goodness. Later, Judaism associated the Torah with a yoke as a statement of submission to Yahweh. So uh, even, uh, for example, the rabbis would talk about the, uh, the reciting of the Torah and they would talk about the reciting of the, the, uh, of the, uh, I just lost the word for the particular um, language. But they would talk about it as, uh, as a yoke. But it was a joyous yoke. It, it, was, it was their obligation, but it was their joy. And I think that uh, something is happening here of the same, a similar sort. The yoke is a burden. But the burden isn't the same kind of yoke and burden that you'll find in the world. 
When, when you come to Jesus and when you take the yoke that he gives, you won't have the same burden, the same weight that you will have with every other God that presents itself to us in the world. Every other God, the burden and the weight, it is unbearable. It is unsustainable. And so this uh, joy of the Lord helping those who are uh, obedient to his command to take my yoke. And then thirdly, learn, learn from me. This is the language of discipleship. Be a disciple of me might be a, a, a way that we can put this in simpler language. Uh, this word is the word for discipleship. Learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Here again, taking the yoke and learning both of these obligations, obligations permeated with joy. We cannot go through life and avoid obligations. We can go through life and have obligations that are given by God. And here is joy. Come under the yoke that Jesus gives. Come under the yoke that our Lord gives. He is gentle. He is humble. He is a promising God. You will find rest. This, this language again. You will find peace. You'll find refreshment. The joy then of that 30th verse, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Here is the command of the Lord. Come, take up the yoke, learn from me, learn with me, learn under me. This will lead to joy. For the Lord's yoke is easy and the burden is light. We know what a yoke is in terms of harnessing oxen to pull and labor as they are directed. This language for burden is language that is helpful in terms of thinking about the... Um, thinking about the particulars of this of this um, this uh, illustration that the word the, uh, helps us to understand in this context so when paul was in acts going on the the trip and they were they were inevitably going to crash uh, he speaks of lightening the load by throwing the cargo overboard. The word cargo is our word here, burden. That, that's the word that's being used here. And as we go through life, there are all kinds of burdens. But the Lord promises, whether it's our eyesight failing, whether it's our uh, self 
self-sufficiency and ability to do things by ourselves failing, whether it's the, the keys to the car, finally uh, the, the kids are able to get them away from you, whether it is not being able to go on a trip that you're looking forward to, no matter what it is, those burdens of life, they're lightened as we follow in faithfulness with our Lord. Might God bless as we look to him in faithfulness. Two applications of to modesty. Um, Jesus, our example of humility, puts forth modest expectations of us. Does he not? He, he doesn't put forth all that he could, all that he has authority to put forth. We, we look to Jesus given who he is, given the worship that is due to him, given the honor that we should lift him up with, he could say far more. He he could command far more. He can command everything. And yet, in modesty, he, he doesn't. Now, if that is true of our Savior, how much more ought it to be true of us? If we are in leadership positions, etc., might we be modest where modesty is appropriate? But thinking in terms of not our Lord, but us. When we go to the Lord and when we ask the Lord's help, are we going to the Lord with modesty? Yes, we should go, as Hebrews says, with confidence. But I think one of the premier illustrations, examples of modesty in the New Testament is the thief on the cross. He knows, I'm not speaking of the one who rejected the Lord, the, the one who understood that he was there and he deserved to be there. We have sinned. Jesus is innocent, but I'm here because I, I deserve to be here. And what is his request? What is his word of, of plea to the Lord? Not, Lord, take me to glory. Not, Lord, take me off the cross. That was the plea of all the immodest, rebellious around Jesus. But rather, Lord, remember me. When you enter into your kingdom. If modesty is appropriate for our savior. And how much more. Ought it to be appropriate for us. Might we ask for yokes that are easy. But might we never ask to be free of a yoke. Might we ask for burdens that are light. But might we know the joy of being faithful under the burdens that God gives? Might the Lord help as we look to him? Might we pray? Lord, we thank you for these promises. We pray that you would rejoice us in them. 
Lord, keep us from the thinking and the ungodliness of the world's path and the world's schemes. The world around us thinks that if we are not free, this is the height of wickedness and evil. And yet, Lord, to be your servant, to be under your obligations, to be under your commands, to be loving them. Lord, I pray that this would be our heart. Lord, I pray for those who are struggling. They've known your joy in the past, but the present burdens are weights around their feet slowing them in the path of godliness. Lord, please strengthen us. Do lighten our load. Help us to look to you. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. I'd like to direct us to the blue hymnal for our closing hymn. That offertory, Psalm 100, Um, note the language there in the text. Come ye before him and rejoice. And then the third verse, O enter then his gates with praise. The Lord calls us into fellowship with himself. Might we sing in joy? Might we sing in obedience? Let's look to the Lord. Would you stand as you're able? Let's sing Psalm 100 together. We'll sing the odd verses 1, 3, and 5. We'll sing the last verse a cappella. All people that on earth do dwell. Psalm 100, let us sing together.
Might you go forth in the comfort and consolation of the Lord. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. God bless. You are dismissed.